Americas underway here on ESPN Plus. I'm Sebastian Salazar, and as you can see, my homie Hercules Gomez is not with us tonight. Now, on the last edition of this show, I told you that Herc wasn't going to be here because he was on a well-earned family vacation. But now that he's not here, I can tell you the truth. With his pro Seattle ways, Hercules Gomez couldn't bring himself to be present for our final show before an MLS Cup that not only features the Portland Timbers, but will be hosted by the Portland Timbers. That's the truth. Hercules can respond when he returns on the next edition of Football Americas. In his absence, we have quite the list of guests for you. Speaking of MLS Cup, Alejandro Moreno going to be by in just a little bit to preview MLS Cup coming up this weekend between the Portland Timbers and New York City FC Saturday in Portland. Should be a great atmosphere and a great game. We also have a final set in Liga MX between Atlas and León. Atlas forward Julio Furch is going to join us for a bilingual interview. Plus, Tonio Valle, our colleague from ESPN Deportes, he is standing by to talk about, yes, the Liga MX final, but also El Tri, who are in action on Wednesday night against Chile. And in fact, that is where we will start this edition of Football Americas in the Texas capital of Austin. Q2 Stadium playing host to El Tri. Off to a quick start here, third minute. Carlos Acevedo, the save. Ninth minute, Mexico strike first. Uriel Antuna going to set up Santiago Jimenez, and there it is. El 3 surge into the lead in Austin. Santiago Jimenez, the tap in 21st minute here. Ivan Morales on the rebound. Acevedo did all he could to keep this one out, but uh, Morales denied it first. And not there on the second effort. 1-1 into the second half, 53rd minute. Santiago Jimenez almost scores, and Jordan Silva just the same. A minute later, Jimenez looking for that brace, but he just can't get it past the Chilean goalie. Second goal for Mexico comes in the 64th. It is Jordan Silva off the assist from Sebastián Córdoba. There he is, the snap-down header in the box. Córdoba one-on-one here, nearly makes it 3-1, but can't finish off the effort. Here it is, the 83rd minute, what we were all waiting to see, Marcelo Flores onto the field for his debut. And then a few minutes after that, Pablo Parra finds the equalizer for Chile. A brutal deflection there off Beltran. Here's Tata Martino on the year that was. Respecto al balance, es el peor año de, de nuestra gestión. Entendiendo 19, 20, 21, claramente en resultados y en rendimiento, el peor año de, la, de mi gestión. Antonio Valle then with us from our ESPN studios in Mexico City. Look at that smile. That is the smile of a long-suffering <laughs> Lions fan who just got their first <laughs> victory over the weekend. Antonio, I don't know anything about the National Football League, but the Lions won. It was such a big deal. Even I found out. Yep, yep. I actually said I wasn't going to be on Seb until the Lions won again because I didn't want to be here with an O in the win column for my team. So once the Lions got the win, they told me you can be on this week. So that's why I'm here. That's why I'm smiling. Perfect, perfect. All right, so let's get into this game uh, Wednesday night in Austin. Right. Just how important was it down in Mexico? You know, it's a, model, it's a molero. It's a game in the United States. Yeah. It's not the A team. It's not the stars. Were people really focused on this like they would have been a, a World Cup qualifier or a game of that status? Nah, definitely not. It was one of those games that if Tata won, not a lot of, of or the Mexican national team won, not a lot of things would have been said here in Mexico. But if Mexico lost, then ah. you got to take care. <laughs> then all of the criticism would start falling on Tata Martino. It was a tie, so there was criticism because it's easy to do that at this time because Tata's flying low, his team is flying low as of this moment. But I can tell you, I think a lot of people didn't even remember that Mexico mm. was playing and they started flipping channels and then they found the game and they stayed there because but because they wanted to see how much harm they could do to the national team with all the critics. So yeah, sounds like maybe not as much interest down in Mexico, not as much interest here in the States either. Remember the friendly that they played in October in Charlotte? There was, I think, almost yeah. 40,000 in attendance there. Now, obviously, Q2 Stadium in Austin only holds like 20,000, but even the stadium itself wasn't full. It didn't appear to be a sellout. So uh, maybe the fans here weren't as, as on top of this game as the Mexican Federation mm -hmm. would have liked. All right, let's move on to a quick addition, Tonio, of El Three Questions. Yeah. We got three questions, most right. of which focus on the action uh, from last night's game. Our first game, and let's leave the goalies aside for this because we're surely going to talk about mm -hmm. Acevedo in just a little bit. So of the field players okay. last night, uh, who stood out the most, in your opinion, for 
I mean, I think the easy answer would be Jimenez, Seb, but mm. I gotta look at this game not in a vacuum. I know this game is like if Tata Martino was looking for spare parts for his A-team, and I think he found that in Julian Araujo. Mm. I think he's really looking for a right back. I don't think Jorge Sanchez is fit for the job. I don't think Chaka Rodriguez is necessarily the man that has to have uh, that uh, role. So I think Araujo did a pretty good job. I think that Tata took a lot of notes, and I think that in uh, the next games, and those games that involve uh, World Cup qualifications, I think Araujo is going to be considered. So because I need to see what he can learn from this game and then uh, start using it in other games, that's why I'm going to get, I'm, I'm going to keep myself, or that's why I'm going to stick to the right back, uh, Julian Araujo. Araujo, of course, a product of the Los Angeles Galaxy Academy. It's interesting. Yes. He's listed at 5'10", like 154 mm -hmm. pounds. He plays much bigger. Don't you? I don't know if you felt yes. that watching him last night. There's a real physical presence to this kid uh, that maybe you don't see from a lot of Mexico's defenders. If you'd like to add some strength to that back line, which I'm sure Tata Martino would like to do, Julian Araujo may be a good candidate uh, to do just that. If there was a player who stood out for maybe not standing out, for not dominating against, let's be honest, Chile's B team, as mm -hmm. I would have expected. For me, yeah. it was Sebastián yeah. Córdoba. We saw him uh, yeah. with a missed chance there that could have made it 3-1, one-on-one with the goalie, uh, and he can't convert. Uh, what do you think of where he is right now, uh, and specifically his performance last night? Because it seems like what's happening with him at Club América is starting to change his trajectory with the national team. Yeah, definitely. I think it's starting to become a concern, actually, what Sebastián Córdoba has been doing or what he has not been doing on the field. Because last night, he was one of the experienced players. I mean, because mm. of the team he plays for and because of the games he's been able to play with Tata Martino's A-team. So we, I think we were expecting a lot from him. You know what? I have to put on the list Uriel Antuna, who's mm. a name that's been linked to him directly because of the possible trade that Chivas and America can have in the next couple of days. But I think he was another player that we were expecting a lot. I think Antuna, at least I can tell you that here in Mexico, what in some way saves him from a lot of criticism is what we have been able to see from him in the Mexican national team. Mm. But you have to start going back in time quite a lot to find those good games. I think we're talking about 2019, because the Olympic Games weren't really necessarily his best performance. So I think I'd put those two in the list of two players that underperformed last night. Yeah, back to Córdoba. The latest link is Tigres, which could mean a reunion with yeah. Miguel Herrera. Whether it's Tigres, whether it's Chivas, I just know he's, he's got to get out of America right now. Whatever's happening yeah, under does. Santiago yeah. Solari seems like the player has totally lost confidence. Let's move on to our second question uh, from last night's friendly mm -hmm. in Austin. Can Carlos Acevedo shake up the goalie position? Now, very interesting question here because it, it, it's really coming off the last international window, right, where I think we can fairly, mm -hmm. Doño, criticize the performance yeah. of Memo Ochoa, not just against the United States, but against Canada as well. So Acevedo is, what, 25, Memo Ochoa 36. Do you think Acevedo can push Memo Ochoa for a number one starting spot at the next World Cup? Nah, I don't think so, because I think Ochoa has a lot of credit, Tim. I mean, mm. he has come to this point that we obviously didn't like what we saw in the last couple of games, but I think Ochoa has been there for El Tri in a lot of times. I mean, I think he's been there in big, important games with big, important saves. So I think he has some cushion that he can still fall back on. I'm thinking Acevedo right now is, doing, is getting some pressure on the goalkeeper two and in the goalkeeper three position. Mm. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think at this point of the uh, of, of the way that Mexico still has to go to get a, a spot in the next World Cup, being in the conversation is not necessarily bad because Acevedo was outside of the conversation at least until the last couple of days. It, he was injured, that's right, in the last couple of months, mm -hmm. but Tata wasn't really looking his way. So I think he started finally to get the attention of Tata. I think Ochoa is one of those untouchables. He's still one of those untouchables, but I think he's creeping, and, I, and I'm meaning about, I'm talking about Acevedo, he's starting to creep at least into the least, uh, at least into the list, and that's not something that's bad. Yeah. Acevedo gave up two goals uh, in Austin, but I don't think yeah. either of them, you would say, uh, no. or his fault. Or his fault. One thing, I don't no, know if he's, no, no. Got the, if he's got the skills on the field. He definitely has the look. He's got the look, the presence yeah, to be, a, yeah, to be the, the starting goalie for, for the Mexican national team. All right, our, our third and final question has to do with Marcelo Flores, who everybody was waiting mm -hmm. 
to see play last night. But, Tonio, before I get your take on Marcelo Flores and why we had to wait to mm -hmm. indeed the 83rd minute, uh, let's hear what Tata Martino had to say about it. Entró en el momento en que nosotros entendimos que debía entrar. Yo entiendo las expectativas que él puede despertar y también entiendo y le pido a la gente este, que sea prudente con, con el peso que se carga arriba de un chico que tiene apenas 18 años. Doño, they were chanting his name in Austin <laughs> in the 70th yeah. minute. Uh, what do you think of what Tata has yeah. to say in his approach here with Marcelo Flores? Yeah, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I think Tata's starting to become a bit stubborn in some topics. I think there are a lot of things that he doesn't like to cave in uh, what, to what the public opinion is. And I mm. think the amount of minutes that Marcelo Flores could have had was one of those things. I think he could, could put him on some more minutes. It's a friendly. It's a molero, Sim. I mean, come on. And you need skill position players in that particular side of the field or in that particular part of the field where Marcelo Flores can do damage. I think Mexico right now is having trouble. And that was before what we saw today with Chucky Lozano. But mm. the Catito Corona is mm. not doing great. Diego Lainez is not doing very good. Uh, Chucky, well, we know what happened to him uh, in, the, in the last couple of minutes or the last couple hours. So I think it's not bad if you start getting some options because you don't have that many options out there. So I would have liked him having more minutes. I think that this thinking that if you give him more, you give him like some sort of uh, ro role of like the savior of the Mexican mm. national team. And I don't think it necessarily means that. I think you can give him more minutes in a molero. We're not asking mm. him to put him uh, in the starting 11 against the U.S. at Azteca. We're just yeah. asking him to give him some more minutes. Probably, I don't know, 30 minutes the second half of a game. I think Tata is overreacting a bit to the fact that Mexico or the Mexican fans wanted to see more of Marcelo Flores. They were winning, and the kid flew from England for yeah. seven minutes, yes. for seven minutes of playing time. Come on, <laughs> you got to give him a, a, a little bit more than that. If there's one other warning here, it's he does have a choice, right? Uh, he's born in Canada. Yep. He can yep. represent Canada. Remember the David Ochoa example that happened with the United States. Mm -hmm. He was with the United States. There were a couple opportunities, and he wrote about this when he made the decision where Greg Berhalter could have played him and chose not to, and David Ochoa didn't like it. It may not have been the straw that broke the camel's back. It may not be why, in the end, he decides Mexico. But at least in his own words, it seems to have played a factor. So something to keep an eye on there. Tonio, since you mentioned Chucky Lozano, uh -huh. um, another scary yeah. scene today involving the Mexican attacker in Europa League playing for Napoli against Leicester. He's carted off the field. We end up finding out he lost a tooth, he broke a nose. Uh, we hope it's no more serious than that. But at this point, we continue to see injury after injury, Tonio, with Chucky Lozano, and serious injury after serious injury yeah. to, to Chucky Lozano. Uh, at some point, do you start to worry that these injuries may pile up and impact the player that he either is or could end up being? Yeah, I think, I, think, I think you have to worry, Seb, because those are injuries that I think can affect his confidence. And he's a player that needs confidence to go and look for the one-on-one, -on -one, that he needs to have confidence to try and dribble against the defenders that are against him. So, yeah, I think it's something that can uh, definitely stump his growth or it's something that can affect him on the long run. And it's not very good news when he's your best player and, again, on the last third of the pitch, you had what happened with Raul Jimenez. Fortunately, he's back on the field, but you're not necessarily having your best players right now in the best of moments, and the most complicated part of the qualification process is still ahead. So I think that needs to be worried. All right, Tonio, let's leave the national team for now and mm -hmm. turn our attention to this uh, okay. very interesting Liga Mekis final, which is set to start uh, in just about 90 minutes, uh, the first leg between Atlas and Leon should be a, a really interesting matchup. We got the first leg, what, 10 p.m. Eastern tonight in Leon. Second leg is Sunday night in Guadalajara. Uh, Leon advanced over Puebla and Tigres to get here. Atlas advancing past Monterrey and Pumas. The two teams actually ended up even on points in the regular season. Atlas finished second, Leon third uh, on goal differential. Now, Tonio, the, the real big story here, the narrative, uh, is how Atlas is chasing their first title in 70 years way back to 1951, the last time that uh, Atlas yep. were the kings of Mexican football. So give us a little history lesson here. Uh, how does this compare, and I'm thinking also in terms of fan interest and media coverage, mm -hmm. to the story that we had six months ago, which was Cruz Azul trying to break the title drought of 24 years? 
Yeah, I think it's pretty different, and it's not necessarily because it's practically double the time Atlas mm -hmm. has, start, or, or, or triple even, the time that Atlas has not been able to lift uh, the trophy, Sam. But it has to do with, with Atlas hasn't even been close since 1999 to becoming champions of the Mexican League. And the thing that made Cruz Azul's story so curious was the fact that they were all, they were, I'm not going to say always, but they were often close to the possibility of becoming the champions, and they found incredible ways to lose the cup. Atlas doesn't have that. Atlas, in a way, is a team that didn't necessarily expect to be at the point that they're in right now. Cruz Azul was always a competitive team. Cruz Azul was always in the top five of teams that you would think were going to be able to fight for the title, that they were going to be able to fight to become the champions. So I think the story is quite different. Cruz, people mocked Cruz Azul when they weren't able to win the cup. I mean, people almost expected Cruz Azul to find a way to lose it. And I think in Atlas terms, people are kind of being very supportive. I think people six months ago wanted Cruz Azul's story to keep on going and find new ways of losing the championship. I think people really want Atlas fans to be able to celebrate this weekend. So if we look at how they advanced in Ligia, in both quarterfinals and semifinals, mm -hmm. Donio, Atlas advances mm -hmm. thanks to the tiebreaker, which we know in Mexico is your position yeah. in the table during the regular mm -hmm. season. Um, is there any suggestion from, again, fans, pundits down in Mexico that Atlas are not a deserving finalist? And is there any yes. chatter about the, the playoff format uh, and how you can advance based on something that happens in the regular season and not on the field in the postseason? Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, I think people are thinking that they didn't necessarily do what needed to be done to get here, or they probably didn't deserve to be here, but not because of the position in the table, but because of what happened with the refereeing in quarterfinals and in semifinals. Mm. And in the second game against Monterrey, there was a penalty called for Atlas that really never had to exist. I mean, the player wasn't even touched. Angulo wasn't touched. Not even uh, the, People were saying that they put an arm against the shoulder. That didn't happen. That they gave him a little kick or down low. That didn't happen either. And on the game against Pumas in the semifinal and the second game, there was also an elbow that went right through the Nano's nose that mm -hmm. actually broke the center forward's nose, and there wasn't a penalty called. And in the next play, Vineno tried a bicycle kick. He didn't know where Angulo was. He gave him a kick on the face, and the center forward was sent uh, off the field. So, refereeing-wise, that's the part where people are kind of saying, you know what, maybe Atlas really didn't really deserve to be here. Th there's criticism, but not for the part or, or uh, their place on the table. It's actually because of what the, the refereeing has been calling on their favor in the last couple of weeks. Well, whether they deserve it or not, Atlas and are, uh, are into a final for the first time in this millennium. Where they will meet, Tonio León, which is a very interesting team for me when you think about uh, Mexican football. <laughs> they won a title, a league title, in 2020. They won the League's Cup uh, this year in 2021. So there's some trophies starting to pile up for León. But if you think about just regular seasons, they're always there at the top of the table. And beyond that, I say uh, they play some of the most consistently attractive yes. football um, in Mexico. And yet, it's not like they've had the same coach over all these years. So, why is nope. Leon so consistently good? Well, first of all, I think they don't have that much pressure, Seb, even though they're becoming one of these consistent teams. They're not necessarily, like, uh, under scrutiny week by week, day by day. So, I think they can really, they can work with relative, uh, relatively calm. And then when the playoff starts, when the Liguilla starts, well, then that's when they start doing right, uh, what, they, what they know they can do. And that's when people start paying attention. And they're like, oh, Leon is again playing very good football. Leon is again being very consistent. Yeah, I think they've been very smart at the decisions they make with the coaches that have been, going, that have been sitting on their bench. Ambriz left, Holland came. They maintained that attacking uh, football. They lost. I mean, it's not that they lost. But Holland doesn't necessarily play two of the most important players that Ambriz had on his starting 11, Fernando Navarro and Luis Montes, and still the team is maintaining a very good level. I think it has to do with uh, not necessarily having that much pressure and having the, the ability to scout 
players in the correct way and being able to bring players that they know are going to work once they're on the field. Omar Fernandez, Santiago Ormeño from Puebla, for example, came this season, and Ormeño maybe has not exploded to the level that they expected, but Omar Fernandez really has. So I think that uh, that helps a lot. They're, they're very consistent. Today, actually, they uh, started or they, or they showed the world their new headquarters that are really impressive, probably some of the best in Latin America. So that gives you an idea that they just don't work on what's happening on the field. I think they're a team in every aspect of the word team, and that usually takes you to success. According to the odds makers, Leon, our slight, ever so slight favorites uh, over Atlas to bring home the title. Uh, Tonio, we got to get a prediction out of you. What do you think is going to happen right. over two legs? Will Leon win it all, or will Atlas finally, finally break the curse? I think people that have been waiting a long time and that really, really want to celebrate, Seb, are going to do it this week. And I think ah. Atlas is a very <laughs> consistent team. They don't receive a lot of goals. They don't make a lot of goals, but they're a very balanced team. I think the fairy tale ending starts this weekend. All right. Hey, um, I think I think the 1950s was also the last time the Detroit Lions won a title. So there you have it. Your, <laughs> yeah, your optimism yeah, yeah. as a Lions fan yes, uh, coming I through am. here on Football yeah. Americas with the pick <laughs> uh, for Atlas to win Liga Mekis. All right, so there he is, Tonio Valle, our colleague from ESPN Deportes. Tonio, thanks so much for joining us here on Football Americas. Always a pleasure being here with you guys, Seb. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. none other than Alejandro Moreno, a man who would never take a dive, can score goals from all sorts of range, and is a very close personal friend of mine. Alejandro, in 48 hours, you and I will be in Portland for MLS Cup. Are you ready for two days of Seb time? Hey, hey, all right, hold on a second. None of those statements are true. You know how sometimes in, in, in multiple choice you have none of the above? Well, that's, that's the correct answer. D, none of the above. All right, well, let's, uh, let's dive in on this game in Portland because uh, it should be a pretty exciting, at least, atmosphere, right? We know it's going to be a sellout there at Providence Park. And, Ali, I'm thinking back to when you were hanging banners with Houston Dynamo, Columbus Crew, Los Angeles Galaxy. You know, when you guys went to your finals, you had to go to a neutral site. You didn't have any home field advantage. Uh, what do you think about the fact that Portland gets a home field final and what kind of impact do you think it'll have on the game Saturday? I like the idea of a home field advantage if indeed you have been a better team throughout the regular season. It, it does reward the performance of the regular season. Sometimes in MLS in the past, we've, we've kind of dismissed the regular season and said, you know, all you have to do is come into the playoff playing well and you'll have an opportunity to win this thing. 
Well, that may still be the case, but at the very least, you're rewarding what you do through the regular season. In terms of the impact, there's no doubt that Portland feels a whole lot more comfortable being at Providence Park and that there is a level of confidence, the support, the buildup going into that game is going to be all about Portland if they're able to channel that into individual good performances and team good performance then obviously you would have to say that Portland are the favorites now this gives NYCFC this whole rhetoric of us against the world nobody gives us a chance I'm not quite sure how you're able to manage that uh, as you go into the game and, and how important that may be but clearly there's no doubt there let, let's not run away from it Portland are the favorites coming into the final. Ale, aside from home field advantage, let's talk tactics. Like, where on the field do the Timbers have the advantage in this game from your perspective? Well, I think both teams have a, an advantage in what they do in the attacking half. The rotation of the Portland Timbers and the attack that they're able to create from all sorts of different angles, I think, gives them a, a certain variety and a variety of options that Giovanni Savarese feels very confident about. Now, that rotation depends very heavily on the work of Sebastián Blanco. He is the one guy that has freedom to go anywhere he wants in that attacking half. So it really depends on how fit Sebastián Blanco is. If indeed he's ready to go, he's going to play. His movement dictates what everybody else does, and that's how special a player he has been for the Portland Timbers, and he has become the guy in Portland. For so many years, it was Diego Valeri. Diego Valeri is now watching from the sidelines, and he may play a role in this final, maybe towards the end, but as it pertains to the starting lineup and really the focal point of the attack, starts with Sebastián Blanco and the rotation that the Portland Timbers do uh, as they get into the final third. You'll see Jimmy Chara appearing in different sp in different spaces. You're going to see Sebastián Blanco doing the same thing. Felipe Mora will stay central, but if indeed Sebastián Blanco is in a central position, you'll see Felipe Mora go elsewhere. Dairon Asprilla being back makes a difference for this team as well. I, I think that for Portland, that's what they depend on. NYCFC has similar things with their front four, but their rotation is not nearly as evident as it is for Portland. And really, what you, when you see NYCFC, their rotation happens more in the middle. Those guys don't really get out of those central areas and then, then depend on the width that maybe Gray can provide on the right-hand side and whatever they're able to get out of the left-hand side. So for me, Portland rotates everywhere, NYC rotates, but more in central positions. I'm interested that you picked the attack, Ale, as the advantage area for Portland. Each team scored 56 goals in the regular season. But if you look at the defensive, at least statistics, and, and you know, these aren't always maybe the, the most accurate number you want to look at, but it has to count for something. Uh, Portland Timbers conceded 52 goals this year. Uh, New York City conceded just 36. If we're trying to find an advantage for New York City, is it in the defensive part of the field? Well, yes, but then you also have to look at, if you go into the numbers and delve deep into the numbers, and I know you love doing this, uh, yeah, Portland in the playoff, very clean defensively. They go to Colorado and pitch a shutout in Colorado. And you look at what they do at home and a shutout. And then against Minnesota, a team that was very good offensively, they limited them to the one goal they had and really not very many opportunities after that. And then you look at the last few games that they had in the regular season as well. And the Portland Timbers have improved defensively. So, yes, you can stack the numbers very heavily at the beginning of the season, really throughout the middle of the season, and say, yeah, Portland had some difficulties defensively. But it's been a different story about what, what they have done over the last month, month and a half. In terms of NYCFC, I can actually make the argument the other way, that at times they've been very good defensively, but man, there were moments in that game against New England. Once they went up, that you're seeing holes appear mm -hmm. everywhere and you're thinking, well, no, no, wait a minute, no, don't stop doing the things that you were doing that got you to this point. And of course, the red card of Valentin Tate Castellano has something to do with that. But I just think there are moments in which a guy like, say, for example, Alexander Kayans, I look at him and I think, this guy is really good. And then I look at him closely and I say, but he's got mistakes in him. And, and, and I feel like you can say the same thing about Chanel. It's like, this guy is good. He's being really good for them. But he's got mistakes in them. It's the same thing with the Portland Timbers. Larris Maviala has been scoring goals in the playoffs, but he's got mistakes in him. And, and, and I, I just think that actually for us, the neutrals, is a good thing because it may just give us a final in which it isn't two teams sitting back, 
it's the teams that are actually attacking mm. each other. Ale, to that point, not everybody that's watching this game is going to be a New York City fan or a Portland fan. So I'm curious what kind of, of game that you think we'll get. You know, Vegas usually sets the over-under for any soccer match. Kind of the standard is, is two and a half goals. Right now, Vegas says it's more likely that this game will go under. Uh, do you agree? You think we'll see, uh, you know, maybe more cagey final? Or what you're saying to me sounds like you think we may go over that two and a half. I'm, I mean, you know, I'm an optimist. Huh? That's, that's what I bring to life. A smile. Smile and wave, baby. That's all you can do. So I am hopeful, hopeful that this is a back and forth game. Because I do think that if these teams get after each other, they're going to expose vulnerabilities for both teams. If indeed both of these teams just kind of sit back and, and trying to absorb pressure. And sometimes Portland has been guilty of doing that. And sometimes NYC have, NYCFC have, have been pushed into doing that. If th they allow themselves to truly get after each other and to truly magnify and highlight the things that they do well in the attack, this should be an open final. It should be back and forth. And, mm. and it should make for a good spectacle, for a good show. Just, just think about this for a second. If you have transition to the midfield and you have Jimmy Chatter running in behind, you have Sebastian Blackburn cutting from the left-hand side, and you have Dairon Afriya with his feet down the right-hand side, okay, maybe they lose the ball in a bad area, and now his transition is going the other way, and you got Valentin Dati Castellano in a central position, and Maxi Morales picking out, the, and then you have Jesus Medina also picking out a pass as well, and then Tavon Gray coming down the left-hand side, uh, down the right-hand side, creating that outlet and giving them width on the right. There are uh, reasons to be optimistic about this final not being cagey. And, I, and this is what I would ask of both coaches. Let these guys go. Let them play. I know, <laughs> I know that, that, that you want to get conservative because you, you get, it's human nature to protect. But what is there to protect? You know you're at your very best when the game becomes open, when it becomes straight. Let your horses run, baby. Let them go. Let them go. So Vegas shades the under. Ale Moreno says, the optimist Ale Moreno says, take the over on uh, two and a half goals. Ale, we had some more news from around Major League Soccer this week. It's not just MLS Cup. It's awards season as well. Carles Gil of the New England Revolution gets Major League Soccer's MVP award. I wonder, or, Ale, uh, what you make of Gil getting the MVP award and specifically the fact that uh, before he came to Major League Soccer, this was a guy who, just very briefly, but was playing in the Spanish second division. Is, it, is that just a coincidence is his, in his career path? Or is it a statement on maybe the quality of MLS relative to the European game, the global game? Oh, what a trap question that is. Uh, well, I, you're an amazing journalist these days. Huh? You just, you just laying <laughs> Well, a journalist is, a, is not the word. Well, well, whatever it is that you are, with your pretty hair and all. Uh, look, let me tell you something. Carles Hill becomes the MVP because he is, when you look at New England's attack, everything goes through him. And if indeed, and some people may argue against this, but some people were very, very bullish about saying, well, New England is the best team ever, 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 in the history of ever, ever, ever. Okay, if indeed they're the record-breaking team and he is the guy that everything goes through him in order to make them this explosive team, then it's an obvious choice to be an MVP. It's, it's an obvious choice. That, that, that isn't something that we're going to argue. As to what that means for the uh, level of MLS and Carles Hill and nothing. It means absolutely nothing. It is the juxtaposition, look at that big word that I just used, juxtaposition of a record-breaking season of the, for the New England Revolution and him being the captain and the foremost uh, player in the attacking half for that team. Simple as that. All right, Ale, before I let you go and get on that uh, plane to Portland, one more bit of, not MLS news, but potential MLS News. Uh, Will Forbes, a soccer reporter here in the United States, reporting that uh, Toronto FC is pushing really hard to bring Lorenzo Insigne of Napoli and the Italian national team to Major League Soccer. I wonder, Ale, where you think this would fit 
in kind of the, the conversation of biggest signings in MLS history, knowing full well that Lorenzo Insigne isn't um, the player that Thierry Henry was mm. or, or the marketing force that David Beckham was. But for me, he does fit into another very interesting subcategory of players in their prime in Europe coming to MLS before they leave their prime. So kind of the Sebastian Giovinco, Carlos Vela category. Yeah, this is this would be Sebastian Jovinko 2.0, really, because when Jovinko comes to MLS, honestly, his role had diminished in Europe uh, drastically. Insigne last summer was playing for Italy in the Euros. I mean, it's you, you're you're talking at home, and you know the team that won the Euros, and he was an important part of that team. So it. Um, Obviously, you would think that this, this would be a tremendous acquisition for MLS and certainly for Toronto. Now, there's a part of me, the GM part of me, you know, the, the, the wheeler and dealer, mm -hmm. the, the guy who, the architect of a team in MLS that would suggest looking at Toronto and saying, this team is not just one player away from being relevant again. This team is a few players away. So, again, the architect within me would suggest that it may just be a better idea you go after four or five players and divide that money among those four or five players. Get yourself a core group. And once you have a core group, you can start thinking about adding this sort of player, this special guy. The, the guy who's going to get you over the top. You're not one guy away from getting over the top. You are a whole structure away from getting over the top if you're Toronto FC. I'm thinking you take a couple of steps before you go after a guy like Insigne. Although I can recognize, of course, the importance and the mm -hmm. values of having a guy like Lorenzo Insigne come to MLS. There's no doubt about that. But I'm thinking if you're Toronto FC, you're skipping a few steps before you go and get this guy. I don't think you have enough of a core group that could potentially give this guy a stage where he can perform and really give you what you're looking for. All right, well, it's just a rumor for now, so we'll leave it at that. There is uh, very much truth to this rumor. Ale and I will be spending a lot of time in Portland together over the coming days as we get set for MLS Cup. It's the Portland Timbers against New York City FC, and our coverage starts on ABC at 3 p.m. Eastern. Ale, looking forward to it. Juxtaposition and architect. I'll leave you with that. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. The U.S. men's national team is training in Carson, California, ahead of their friendly on December 18th against Bosnia and Herzegovina. Of course, the game is on a non-FIFA date, which means we'll have a lot of MLS players. And that means the return of Jordan Morris to the national team after a long injury layoff. Here's Morris, the Seattle Sounders attacker from U.S. camp in Southern California. You know, it's been a long year for myself personally and, um, you know, lots of games watching on the TV and watching from the sidelines. And it was it was uh, disappointing and frustrating and um, you know, to be back with, with this group is, is amazing. You know, I'm only probably nine nine months out from my surgery now, and and so um, was able to get back on the field a little bit earlier than than uh, what was maybe anticipated at first, which is which is great. But but things are still going to be coming. You know, I think in the game uh, with the Sounders in the playoffs, I was able to get to 100 and you know 103 minutes, something like that. So I feel like the work that I put in, you know, during my recovery definitely helped with the fitness side of things, and that my fitness is at a pretty good level it's it's you know the sharpness and getting getting all that back i think is is the most important and i think that's why it's 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 uh, awesome to be here you know training in such a competitive environment speaking of the u.s national team here's a look at the americans that are left in the champions league so we got the last 16 set for the knockout rounds after all of 
This week's action, pretty impressive list. Christian Pulisic of Chelsea, Weston McKinney of Juventus, Tim Way of Lille, Brendan Aronson of Salzburg. How about that, Salzburg? Getting into the knockout round, Zach Steffen of Manchester City as well. Other CONCACAF representation, Keylor Navas, Edson Alvarez, Hector Herrera, Alfonso Davies, uh, and Jonathan David as well. That's who's in the Champions League knockout rounds. What about those that didn't make it? We know Barcelona famously eliminated from Champions League contention after they lost 3-0 to Bayern Munich on Wednesday. That coupled with the Benfica win means that Bayern, uh, Barcelona will be in the Europa League. Now, Serginho Des, he started the game, but he exited after just 45 minutes. Uh, and after the game, we got reports out of Spain that Dest is on a short list of players that Xavi Hernandez is willing to part ways with come January. Now, our Moises Llorens of ESPN is reporting if Dest doesn't leave the club in January, he will leave in the summer. Europa League action Thursday. Uh, Chucky Lozano, scary, scary scenes as he leaves Napoli's match. We mentioned this earlier in the show. A Napoli's match against Leicester City just before halftime on a stretcher after a vicious collision. The early reports are that he's lost a tooth as well as broken his nose, but uh, there were shades there of his injury that he suffered in the Gold Cup while playing for Mexico. Napoli ends up winning the match 3-2, and they advance to the Europa League knockout rounds. All right, real quick, let's run it back. More dual nats. Fire off that dual nat alarm. A French-American, Kyle Alvray, playing for Lille's U19s against Wolfsburg. And look at the, the solo effort here, doing it himself. Incredible stuff for the young man. He is a, a French-American prospect. So, uh, Greg Berhalter, watch the video and cap him ASAP. Alvray, remember the name on the uh, U19s at Lille in France. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Our next guest here on Football America, on Football Furch, a three-time Liga MX Best Eleven forward. He and his Atlas, he and his Atlas are into the final against León. Julio, es un, es un placer con nosotros en Fútbol Américas. Bienvenido al programa. Bueno, buenas noches. El placer es mío. Muchas gracias por la entrevista. So as we do here, so as we do here on Fútbol, I'll ask the questions in English-Spanish. Julio will respond in Spanish. I'll do my best to do a quick translation before moving on to the next topic. topic. In with the semifinals, Atlas advancing past Pumas after playing to a 1-1 draw over 180 minutes. So Atlas advancing on the tiebreaker, of course, position in the table. Sí, fueron partidos muy trabados, muy trabajados. Eh, creo que Pumas hizo un, un gran trabajo y fue un rival muy duro. Y bueno, las semifinales eh, son así, partidos que no hay que desconcentrarse en ningún minuto. Así que por suerte pasar y, y, y hacer un, unos buenos partidos tanto de local, de local como de visitante. Julio tells us here the games against Pumas were hard games. Pumas has put in some great work and were a very difficult rival to confront in the semifinals. Semifinals are often tight cagey affairs. You can't lose concentration. Fortunately, they were able to advance and he points out the fact that they played well both at home and away. 
de la semifinal, obviamente a la final. So you win the semifinal, you move on to the final where they're going to face a team in León that is very good, one of the more consistent teams in Mexican football. Let's find out what the keys to winning this would be for Atlas. Julio, ¿cuáles son las claves para una victoria contra León en la gran final? Creo que lo, lo que venimos haciendo, no desconcentrarnos ningún solo minuto. Eh, son partidos que hay que estar concentrado al 100% y, y no regalarles nada a León porque, bueno, es un equipo con, con individualidades muy buenas. Grupalmente también son un equipo que, que juega muy bien. Así que creo que la unión y la concentración y aprovechar las situaciones de gol que tengamos van a ser, van a ser clave en esta etapa. So Julio says it'll take more of the same to win the final as it did in the semifinals, not losing concentration at all, no giveaways against a team like León because they have very good individual players but also very strong in the collective. Uh, total concentration though will be key for Atlas to get the victory. Of course, when we talk about Atlas, we have to talk about the history. 70 years, 1951, the last time that Atlas won the title. I want to know how important that is to the players of today. No, creo que la historia a nosotros no nos pesa. Eh, tratamos de cambiar esa historia y, y estamos haciendo nuestro papel. Queremos escribir nuestra historia, eh, hacer nuestra, nuestra, nuestra historia, escribir nuestra historia en este club. Eh, creo que, que cada jugador quiere dejar una marca por el club que pasa y bueno, eh, creo que esa es la idea y las ganas que nos empujan para poder conseguir el título. Eh, en lo personal, mi idea siempre es esa, de dejar una, una marca en un club y bueno, eh, tener la posibilidad ahora y estar tan cerca, creo que, que es muy motivante para, para cada jugador. Hay muchos jóvenes y que, que a tan poca edad ya pueden eh, marcar historia en el club, así que las ganas son muchísimas. Julio tells us uh, the history. The 70 years without a title doesn't weigh on this current group. They want to change that history, write their own history. And he says each player, and he points to himself as an example, wants to leave a mark in each club that they pass through. And what better mark to leave in a club, in a great institución like Atlas, than the first title since 1951. Now, Julio's career is a very interesting one. He obviously started in his native Argentina, then moved to Mexico with Veracruz in 2015. He's been in the Mexican League ever since I want to get a, a sense as to why. Sí, bueno, son es, es un torneo muy parejo. Eh, cualquier equipo puede quedar campeón. Este hoy en día en este formato hasta el número 12 tiene esa chance y, y creo que lo hace un poco un poco competitivo. Este y es un juego muy abierto. Eh, se ataca mucho. Eh, hay jugadores de, de muy buena calidad. Este es una liga que que va creciendo y creo que eso es lo que más me llama la atención. Eh, la forma de jugar es, eh, son, son partidos muchas veces muy abiertos y hay muchas posibilidades de gol, así que para un delantero eh, tener eh, posibilidades de gol es muy lindo y bueno, creo que es, es por eso lo que me gusta tanto. So I asked him wanting to know why this is such an attractive league, why stay in Mexico so long. Julio tells us it's a very even, very competitive tournament, almost like any team can win any year. Even in the repechaje, a team as low as the 12th seed uh, can make a run. It's very competitive. He also says it's a very open football, lots of attacking football and lots of quality individual players. And he says, especially as a striker, you want to play in an open football like the Mexican League offers. He also says it's a growing league, which is one of the reasons that attracted him to it. He's 32 years old, so prime of his career, I want to know what maybe the future holds for Julio Furch. No, por el momento no he tenido la opción, este, pero creo que sin dudas eh, escucharía si llega en algún momento alguna oferta. Es una liga que también está, está creciendo a pasos agigantados, así que eh, es, es muy tentativo eh, también la liga porque eh, hay equipos muy competitivos. Eh, eh, con K-Champions eh, cada vez los equipos son más fuertes y, y, y bueno, la, la, la calidad de vida en Estados Unidos eh, es muy linda, así que eh, me ha tocado viajar bastante a jugar amistosos y, y a jugar torneos, así que eh, sin duda que es, que es una, una liga muy llamativa. 
He hasn't had maybe direct interest from MLS, but he says if there was, he'd certainly be interested. It's a growing league and not just growing, but growing very quickly. He says a very good level, especially as measured in the CONCACAF Champions League, where you can see the growth of the MLS teams. He also says the quality of life in the United States uh, would make it uh, a very interesting possibility for him in the future. La última y nos vamos, Julio. Last question uh, here for Julio Furch on Football Americas. It's a topic that we talk about a lot uh, here on the show, and that is dual nationals, um, which is an even more nuanced conversation in Mexico, not just dual nationals, but naturalizados, a lot of whom are players in Liga Mexis who have played in Mexico for a long time and are eligible to play for the national team. Sí, sin dudas. Eh, sigue siendo un sueño. Siguen siendo muchísimas las ganas. Eh, es cuestión de, de volver a retomar los papeles de, de la naturalización, porque por momentos eh, estuvo muy parado por el tema de, de la pandemia, así que sería cuestión de retomarlo. Y bueno, eh, creo que, que mostrar un buen nivel adentro de la cancha con, con esto que se está logrando con Atlas, creo que que la, las ganas y las posibilidades crecen un poquito más, así que eh, sigue siendo un sueño y ojalá que, que lo pueda realizar pronto. The dream still very much alive for Julio Furch of representing uh, Mexico at the international level. He says from a paperwork standpoint, uh, things have slowed down greatly because of the pandemic and you have to kind of restart that process. So there's still a, a step or two to go there. Uh, he says that by maintaining a good level at Atlas and by playing in the way he is right now, the dream continues to grow and he hopes that one day he can complete it uh, playing for the Mexican national team. Julio Furch, delantero de Atlas, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you here on Football America. Siempre un placer. Ojalá puedas venir eh, otra vez aquí con nosotros en el show. Gracias por el tiempo. El placer es mío y bueno, muchas gracias a ustedes y espero verlos pronto. Un abrazo. A little bit more news before we get out of here on Football Americas. The striker Texas reporting that U.S. women's national teamer Christy Mewis could be nearing a deal for a short-term move that would see Mewis join Tottenham Hotspur in England come January. Mewis was spotted at Spurs training earlier this week. She currently plays for the Houston Dash of the National Women's Soccer League. We'll keep an eye on that story should anything more develop. All right, from that to our parting shots, and what a shot it was. Uh, Chelsea and Juventus played to a 0-0 draw in Women's Champions League action uh, this week. Of course, remember, Chelsea were your Champions League runners-up last year. Now, late in the game, the game was interrupted by a pitch invader who took a selfie and then took a shot. This could have been our uh, parting shot or shots fired as Sam Kerr the legendary Australian striker absolutely lays out the pitch invader. Uh, there's some humor in there. There's probably some symbolism as well. But uh, the chief concern there would be player safety. That was way too easy uh, for that guy to get on that pitch. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas here on ESPN+. Plus. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you enjoy your weekend full of finals, whether it's uh, Major League Soccer, Liga Mekis, or anywhere else. And we will be back on Monday with full reaction to all of the championship action as Hercules Gomez returns. So for all of us here at Football Americas, enjoy your weekend, and we will see you next Monday.